If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 666. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. If you are watching at YouTube, click on that little heart underneath the Super Thanks button. If you like the video, you can throw a few pennies my way that way. You can also go to McClanahanAcademy.com. It's the best way to support the show. You can purchase one or 20 of my classes there, and of course, you get great content. And you keep this podcast free of charge. You can also go to brianmcclanahan.com, B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by clicking on the support tab while you're there. And of course, you can throw a few pennies my way that way. You can also click on the shop tab while you're there at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share it around on social media. It's a great way to help support the show and grow the audience. And send me those show requests. I'd like to hear what you want to hear. And this is a listener-generated episode. And this is episode 666. So we're going to talk about, the, according to the establishment, the supreme evildoer in America. And of course, that would be the Confederacy. And we know this because they say it. And they say it any chance they get. So I'm going to read to you a piece that appeared in The Nation by a Washington and Lee professor, English professor, talking about the Robert E. Lee tomb at Washington and Lee. Now, before I do this, I'm going to preface this with a couple of things. One, the rhetoric we're seeing now that really began in 2016 when Hillary Clinton called uh, any Trump supporter a deplorable. Maybe you can go back to 2012 when, uh, or I, I should say, you know, uh, Maybe even before that, right? Obama, 2012, 20, 2008, when Obama said that all of his opponents' supporters were just clinging to their God and guns, right? I mean, so you're getting this image of the unwashed in America. And the rhetoric is at a point in the last decade or so that would match the same kind of rhetoric you would have seen in the 1850s. And remember, it was rhetoric in many ways that led to the war. Now, there were some real concrete things going on, don't get me wrong. But the 1850s really ramped up how people talked about each other in in negative terms. And some of the most uh, dangerous culprits in this were Northerners, like Charles Sumner and Thad Stevens and Henry Ward Beecher. When you call your opponents vomit, and this is what they did, when you call them devils, you dehumanize them. They're no longer real people. Now, Southerners, of course, would call their opponents fanatics, and they were. But the Northerners were doing things like the current crop of Democrats. These people aren't even human. They're deplorables. They're vomit. They are, uh, you know, devils. Um, you know, they're, they're just clinging to their God and goes, whatever it is, right? I mean, these people aren't even human. They can be sacrificed at the altar of politics. That's where we've gotten to in 2022. And it's dangerous. 
the rhetoric in the 1850s was so dangerous, of course, it contributed to the buildup to the war. And that is what I think we're seeing again uh, in the current climate. Now, do I think we're going to have a similar situation in the next few years? I don't. I don't think it's ever going to get that bad, and I don't think it's going to get that bad because it really isn't... Um, I, I think most Americans aren't on board with this stuff, and a lot of people are starting to unplug from it. I think I just saw a headline. A lot of Americans are just tuning out news now. They don't even want to hear it anymore. They don't want to hear it anymore because it's just a bunch of whining on both sides, really. And the rhetoric has gotten so bad that nobody wants to pay attention to it. People are are getting burned out on this stuff. And I think the pandemic and COVID did a lot for this because people were cooped up. They couldn't go anywhere. They were consuming a lot of things and they're tired of that. They just want to get out and enjoy nature. They want to get out and go on vacation. These are the things that people want to do. And so what I find fascinating about this though is that uh, to the establishment, there has to be a clear cut enemy. And that clear cut enemy is always going to be the South and of course the Southern tradition and uh, anybody that would be in line with that. And so this piece at The Nation by, a, it's a, let me get her name here, it's uh, Tony Losey. Now again, she teaches at Washington and Lee. And just listen to the way she describes the Lee tomb. And what she, this is a hit piece on Robert E. Lee. But I, when she's making comparison between, or she's making critique of Lee, but she leaves out Washington. And I'll start you know, putting these things back together. The title of the piece is Letting Go of Robert E. Lee at Washington and Lee University. Her, her subtitle uh, is It's Going to Get Increasingly Hard to Persuade High School Students Who Care About Diversity to Attend a University Named After a Confederate General. What a great endorsement of keeping the name Washington and Lee. Who wants these nincompoops? Who, that's their primary goals, who care about diversity. They should go to a school that cares about education, not diversity. I mean, this is actually a reason to keep the name. If they're going to keep people who go to a school just because they care about diversity out of the school, I mean, we should just change all the colleges and universities to Lee then and keep all those morons at home or send them somewhere else. So this is her, her uh, paragraph. She says, The first time I walked inside Lee Chapel at Washington and Lee University, I noticed an overpowering, musty odor before I spotted the larger-than-life mass of marble in the sanctuary that depicts Confederate General Robert E. Lee in uniform, as if asleep on the battlefield. Now, um, first of all, um, I'm not certain that Lee slept on the battlefield. Uh, I mean, he was in his uniform, he's, he's sculpted in his uniform because he was known as confederate general but um i don't think that he slept unless he was at night sleeping in his tent but sleeping on the battlefield it's kind of an odd thing to say but anyways so she says she notices a musty odor now think about what people that are uh, very religious say about uh the devil right there's a, there's an odor it's sulfur it's a stench this is what she's saying. Lee is a supreme evildoer, and she gets into it in the next paragraph. Symbolism can leave an enduring stench. For over a century, the bones of the slave-owning slave Lee family have been kept in a crypt in the chapel's cellar. Because of them and other relics of the Confederacy housed there, the building reeks of the cruelty of slavery, of elitism and racism, 
and the lies of the lost cause myth that persists in honoring Lee, a man who acted dishonorably throughout his life. He acted dishonorably throughout his life. Now, think about the stupidity in that entire paragraph. This woman is so stupid she couldn't get out of her own way. I'm serious. The man who acted dishonorably his entire life. How did he act dishonorably? I mean, even if you want to say, okay, well, Lee uh, acted dishonorably in going with the Confederacy. And of course, I don't think he did at all. But let's just say you, 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 you give them that. How did he act dishonorably before that? What did he do that was dishonorable before 1861? This was a man of impeccable character. A man who was recognized by Winfield Scott as being one of the most important and best officers in the history of the United States. A man who resisted nullification. A man who was against secession. A man who was offered command of the Army of the Potomac. And yet, he's dishonorable. A man who is a loving father, a devoted husband. And yet, he's dishonorable. What does this say about this dope who wrote the piece? It shows how completely stupid she is. But... This is where we are, right? And think about it. What I just said, in the 1850s, the rhetoric was, we have devils. Now, she just equated the, the Lee family and anything to do with that with the stench of the devil, essentially. Lee's image is a kind slave master, noble but doomed warrior, and proponent of reconciliation between North and South after the Civil War, is a prime example of the power of revisionist history and an efficient PR machine. But, see, all those things are actually true. It's not a myth. These things are true about Lee. He was a proponent of reconciliation. He was a noble but doomed warrior. He was a kind slave master. In fact, his wife was actually the owner of the slaves. He was, he was uh, forcing the slaves to work to get the... Plantation. I went over this in Robert E. Lee versus Twitter Historians, which you can find online, or you can get in Southern Scribblings, by the way. But he, he made the slaves from his wife's estate work so that they could get the estate solvent again so that he could discharge the will. And all of the stuff that was the accusations made against him was no evidence. In fact, uh, Elizabeth Brown Pryor even says it in her book reading the man. Well, there's really no evidence of this. So, why would you even make the accusation? Well, we know why. Perhaps as pernicious as the other story of Lee, the great educator. It's a myth that has been perpetuated since 1870 by my employer, Washington and Lee University, which bears responsibility for the miseducation of thousands of students through its deification of a man who betrayed his country and fought to keep millions of black people enslaved. Well, he didn't really do that. He fought for the independence of the South. And, of course, they could have wrestled with slavery as an institution then because we also know that Lincoln was willing to keep millions of black people enslaved too, right? So it wasn't, you're creating a false dichotomy. And uh, he didn't really betray his country at all. He went with his country, which was Virginia. And so that's not betraying his country. But uh, the fact is Lee did save Washington College from financial ruin. And Lee did create the honor code, which now the students at Washington and Lee University have to use. Lee was a very good president of the school, and he turned the school around. All of that is true, but yet she's saying it's all false. 
Who's the revisionist? Now, as people around the world rise up to protest against institutional racism, it is time for Washington University to begin to make amends for its role in peddling a false narrative. You mean like the one you're, you're peddling. It is time for the board of trustees to drop Lee from the university's name. Well, let me ask you this. Do you smell the stench when you go to Mount Vernon? I mean, I wonder if you do, because you see, George Washington owned slaves. He had more slaves than Lee ever had, than the Lee family ever had. George Washington fought in a war that would keep people in bondage. In fact, George Washington demanded the British return slaves they captured. Does the stench of Washington fill your nose with sulfur? Does it do that to you too? Why don't we just call it the college? I mean, get rid of anything, right? We'll just call it the college. But maybe even that name might be too offensive because that would hearken to Western civilization. So we should just call it school. But maybe that would be too offensive. I don't know. School might be too much. Call it place. We're just going to go to place. You see, this is how stupid all of this stuff really is. And the adults in the room should tell uh, Miss Losey to shut up. No, shut up. In fact, if anybody had a spine, they would just get rid of her. A small private school in Lexington in southwest Virginia, WNL claims it can trace its roots to 1749 and credits its survival to George Washington's timely donation in 1796 of shares of stock in the James River Canal Company that would be worth millions today. To show their gratitude, trustees renamed the school after Washington. It defies logic, 150 years after Lee's death, for Washington Lee to give him credit for making the university the first-class liberal arts institution it is today. He doesn't deserve it. Well, wait a second here. Was the school even financially solvent when Lee took over as president? No. In fact, it was going to close. So, yeah, he didn't found the school, but he refounded the school after the war, and people started attending it from all over the South, and it made it a first-class institution. That is beyond contention, and yet she seems to say that's not the case. This is a person that teaches there. She is publicly ridiculing her institution. That's embarrassing. The thousands of students, faculty, and staff who came after him do. They include brave young men and women of color who often found themselves alone, underestimated, and ridiculed as they sought their educations of an overwhelmingly white campus. Well, could that not be the case in any university? I mean, this went on across the United States, even places like, you know, Harvard or Yale. I mean, could you not say that about anywhere? Right? I mean, this is silly. It's a, her argument is absolutely silly. Until it frees itself of Lee, the university will never achieve its stated goal of diversity and inclusion, no matter how much money it says it's going to throw at the effort. Only by removing Lee's name can the university overcome its inability to recruit and retain African-American students and faculty. Absent a change in the name, the student body remained largely white and loaded, as Washington and Lee is known. Now, first of all, what about Washington? Do we keep Washington? He was a slave owner, had a large plantation with lots of slaves, fought a war that kept slavery in place, wanted slaves returned to their owners in New York. I mean, is this a guy that we should emulate to? Is this a man worthy of... Diversity and inclusion. 
We know that Lee, of course, did free his slaves, or the, his wife's slaves, I should say, during the war with his own money. We know Washington also uh, freed many of his slaves, but not all, because he left his wife's estate intact. <clears throat> Lee is underserving of recognition in the university's name because he was a racist and a traitor. Was Washington not a racist? Was Washington not a traitor? He was a traitor to the British Empire. He's a traitor. He broke up families of slaves, selling them off in violation of the wishes of their original owners. Now, that's, uh, that's interesting because um, there's really no evidence any of that actually happened at all. In fact, he worked very hard to keep people from being broken up in families. Where is she getting this from? This is what I want to ask. Where is she getting that information from? Probably from, you know, I don't know, Wikipedia or something. And he is unworthy of respect as a college president because he looked the other way when his students were accused of harassing female teachers in a Freedmen's Bureau of School and preying on young black women in town. Of course, that's also not true. Um, the, the actual faculty minutes state that this isn't true. Yet, there's a letter from one student that says maybe this happened. The faculty minutes show that Lee was interested in this. So, which one is more accurate? In an interview with the New York Herald after the Civil War, Lee said he thought black people should be disposed of. Well, what about Lincoln? He thought that was the case, too. In fact, U.S. Grant said that was the case. He thought black people should be disposed of. What did that mean, though? That meant sent colonization. Lee was saying, well, what can we do about this? We have this potential race problem, so maybe we need to uh, think about colonization. Lincoln was working on that until the very end of his life, yet should we take down Abraham Lincoln's statue? Should we take Lincoln off of anything? I mean, you have to be consistent now. If you're going to be this dope, if you're going to be this stupid, you should be consistent. He told Congress the black man was inferior and could not be educated. Did Abraham Lincoln not say the same thing? How about most Americans in the 19th century? And I think that he is capable of acquiring knowledge as the white man is, Lee testified. For years, WNL had credited Lee with creating the school's fabled student-run honor system. He did not. A commission on the university's history debunked that lie in 2018. If Lee had created an honor system, he would have violated during his testimony before the Joint Committee on Reconstruction and Congress on February 17, 1866, less than a year into his term as college president. Now, they say they debunked it, but they really didn't. They didn't debunk anything. They had an agenda to say Lee didn't do it, and they came to the conclusion that Lee didn't do it when Lee did create the honor code. But anyways. Lawmakers wanted to know whether he, had, he and other Southerners supported reconciliation with the North. Lee's answers were disingenuous, as he pleaded near total ignorance of political conditions and local debate. Historian Elizabeth Brown Pryor wrote in Reading the Man, a portrait of Robert E. Lee through his private letter. See, this is they all go back to this book. It's one of the most idiotic books ever written on Lee. I've already ripped it apart. There are some parts in it that are actually decent, but all the uh, conclusions she draws in this way are drawn from her own opinions rather than evidence. It's a horrible book. It is the most worthless book ever written on Lee. But anyways, I digress. Lee's performance is a masterpiece of reticence, she wrote, but in private he penned political treaties that throb with controlled rage as he discussed with his friends his resentment of the powers the national government exerted over southern states. Well, 
What does reconciliation mean? He can be privately saying, I don't really like this. But publicly, it's not more important publicly to say, we should do this and we should do this and we should put down the sword and we should, we should try to get back together and do all we can to save the union. Wouldn't that be more reconciliationist than writing private letters that say, you know, I'm not really happy about... I mean, can he not, can he not have political positions once the war is over? We had an unconstitutional government foisted on the South. Military occupation, which was illegal. Can a person not say that? No. Because you see, reconciliation has to be uh, uh, focused on northern interpretations of things. The lawmakers also pressed Lee about whether he took an oath of allegiance to the Confederacy at the start of the war. I do not recollect having done so, but it's possible that when I was commissioned, I did, he testified. I do not recollect whether it was required. If it was required, I took it. Or if it had been required, I would have taken it. But I do not recollect whether it was or not. Here was a man who barely missed finishing first in his class at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. His I don't recall defense rings as hollow then as it does today when major public figures use it to wiggle out of legal jams. Well, what legal jam was he in? If he took an oath to support the Confederacy, he says he would have done it if he was asked to. But he doesn't remember, remember if he did or not. But he would have. So what is he really saying here? I, I gladly would have taken it. In the months after his surrender to U.S. Grant at Appomattox Courthouse on April 9, 1865, Lee did not know whether he would be charged with treason. According to Pryor, Lee panicked when a judge in Norfolk urged an indictment that June. Lee appealed to Grant, a fellow West Point graduate, to reiterate the terms of his surrender and the accompanying amnesty that spared his life. The Military Academy's long gray line of graduates and cadets had shielded Lee from a firing squad in Appomattox and did so again. Lee got the job as president at Washington College after a trustee overheard one of the general's daughters complain at a party in Richmond that her father needed work. In September, Lee mounted his horse, traveler, and headed to Lexington, where he found a college heavily in debt and struggling. It is true that Lee oversaw repairs, raised money, recruited students, and injected the college with a practical streak of education by emphasizing chemistry, engineering, and mining. He even is credited with spearheading an effort to educate printers to become better journalists. Pryor's extensive study of letters written by Lee and others revealed that many of the college's students were Confederate veterans who revered the general. But she also found that Lee had a fierce and violent temper, prone to extreme expression. He was hard to please. He never apologized when wrong. One student remembered hiding behind a building's column when he saw Lee pass, according to Pryor's book. Lee even beat up his old horse in a fit of rage, Pryor wrote. Now, of course, that's all hearsay. And we do know that there was a student who wrote a book about Lee and said very glowing things about the man. We also have a first-hand account. And this is, uh, there was a, a man who lives in the town where I live who um, went to Washington Lee a long time ago. And he had a professor there who was a boy uh, when Lee was at Washington and Lee. And Lee knew every child's name in town and was kind to all of them. Of course, he's fit to rage. You see, who are the real revisionists? Pryor is a real revisionist. Her whole job is to tear down Robert E. Lee. She said it. She said it to people. But yet, we're supposed to take her as being the real truth teller and all these other people telling fabricated stories. But the most damning account of Lee, the college president, is John M. McClure's essay, The Freedmen's Bureau School of Lexington versus General Lee's Boys. 
1865, members of the town's black community had pooled their money to rent space for use as a school. Within a week of the school's opening, more than 300 students, ranging in age from very small children and grandparents in their 60s, nearly overwhelmed the school's teachers with their enthusiasm for education, wrote McClure, who is currently director of research and publications at Virginia Historical Society. The white townspeople responded by taunting black children as they walked to school, threatening black workers for seeking education and charging black customers higher prices in local stores. Washington College joined students. Joined, students joined forces with cadets from the nearby Virginia Military Institute to harass the black students and their teachers. The college students frequently threw stones at the school's windows and loudly sang rebel songs during impromptu evening parades, according to McClure's essay. Teachers were called Yankee bitches so often that the insult hardly impressed them after the first few months, McClure wrote. Men often stood in the women's path as they walked home from school in the evening, forcing the teachers to push past them. On several occasions, the students jostled the women and made vulgar suggestions. The white college students and cadets also sexually abused young black women and students at the school, McClure wrote. Some of the men were sexual predators who tried to kidnap young black women. Others pressured young black women into uh, inappropriate relationships. The threat of violence was omnipresent in such encounters. Black women and girls undoubtedly knew they risked being assaulted if they denied their aggressors' demands, according to McClure's essay. Lee knew about his students' harassment of black school students and teachers. He also knew about two violent confrontations between his students and teachers and freedmen. Lee had set out advisories forbidding his students to take part in the activities, Pryor wrote. But as one student told his parents, it was reported that General had the, the general had dismissed some of the boys, but I have not known of any leaving. Pryor reached the only possible conclusion. The number of accusations against Washington College boys indicates that either punished the racial harassment more laxly than other misdemeanors or turned a blind eye to it. But blind eye to it. But here's the thing, and I covered this in Robert E. Lee versus Twitter Historians. Um the actual minutes, and I talked about this a second ago, the actual minutes of the college show that Lee was interested in this issue and took action. One letter from a student, a dopey student, who was probably some dork that nobody liked, is used as evidence that Lee did nothing. One letter. You think about that. Think about the lack of evidence really there. One letter. Yet the faculty college minutes, which one is a more accurate assessment of something? Which one would be more reliable, a letter from a dork, an antisocial dork, or the actual faculty minutes? WNL has done little in the past 20 years to dispel the myth of Lee, the educator, other than remove a couple of battle flags from the chapel. They should have kept those there, by the way. Instead, it's ignored the facts. It's hard to believe the university didn't know about McClure's research or Pryor's work. McClure's findings were revealed at a large gathering of Civil War scholars at the University of Richmond, in 2002 and included in a compilation of the conference's papers in a book, Virginia's Civil War, published in 2005. Pryor's book was published two years later to critical acclaim and won several awards, including the Gilder Learman Lincoln Prize, established to honor the finest scholarly work on Abraham Lincoln or the Civil War era. Of course, you got to remember who's giving the prize, a bunch of idiots. Seriously, a bunch of establishment dopes who don't really know what they're doing. And the fact is, uh, the book is... A bad book. It really is bad. You want to read more about Lee, read Douglas Southall Freeman. I mean, it's so much better. And the fact is, McClure's findings... Now, I've not read this essay by McClure. It's an essay. Um, and again, some of the stuff that... Pryor brings up some of this stuff, too. But a lot of it's hearsay. There's not evidence for a lot of these things. It's hearsay. The university's reputation is in peril if it continues to pretend that Lee was more than he was. Its enrollment model is not sustainable, and it's embarrassing for a school of this caliber in the 21st century. 
In 2019, 79% of WL's 1,860 undergraduates were white, and only 3.3% were African-American. It's going to get increasingly hard to persuade a generation of high school students who care about diversity to attend a university named after Confederate General. I would say to to Ms. Uh, Losey, why don't you just quit? If it's this bad for you, I mean, if you are this embarrassed, why don't you quit? If it's if it's awful, quit. But she's not going to not going to do that. No, she's just going to publicly berate her institution. And of course, the people there are in charge are so stupid, they won't say, "Well, then I'll take your resignation right now." The time catches up with kingdoms and crushes them, gets its teeth into doctrines and re- and rends them, as author James Baldwin wrote in the next the fire next time. Time reveals the foundations on which any kingdom rests and eats at those foundations and destroys doctrines by proving them to be untrue. It may be hard for people who idolize Lee to believe, but he did not like being president of Washington College. The work of the college annoyed him at best, Pryor wrote, and he told his son that he wanted to leave. It's time to let him go. Well, so what? It seems that uh, Miss Miss, uh, Losey doesn't really like her job at at Washington Lee either. Is it time to let you go? I mean, this is the question you must ask. This essay is so stupid. I'm su- I mean, I'm, su- I'm not surprised the nation published it, but um, it's so stupid that only an academic like Tony Losey could write this thing. Anyways, uh, I thought this was a fitting essay for the 666th episode. Uh, so thanks to the person who sent it to me, but I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.